Welcome into episode 14 of the Woopig Weekly Podcast, your weekly source for all things Arkansas Razorbacks. Episode 14 is brought to you by SeatGeek. Are you tired of all those hidden fees on other ticketing apps? Well, look no further because SeatGeek gives you the prices with your fees included. When you go on SeatGeek, receive $20 off your first purchase when you use code VSN at checkout. Um, again, that's promo code VSN on your first purchase at SeatGeek to receive that $20 off. So we'll jump in here. That no, no, no Arkansas football news this week as everything's quiet on the football front until we get to some spring training, and we'll have that covered when that gets here. But we'll go ahead and dive on into the Arkansas basketball news where Arkansas women's basketball, after getting that win last week, ended up falling short against Vanderbilt on February 9th, 78-70, to 70, where Michaela Daniels had herself a game scoring 31 points followed by Christy Carr with 18 points and Aaron Barnum with 12 points. Aaron Barnum led the team in rebounds with seven, followed by Christy Carr, Emery Ellis with five rebounds, and Samara Spencer and Riley Langerman with four rebounds each. In this game, the team shot 41.9% from the field, going 26 of 62. Tough loss. I mean, that's kind of really all you can say about it. thought the, the line was okay. We could have shot a little bit better from three, but – I think the, the main story on this game is Michaela Daniels had a heck of a game. Um, the team just kind of fell short a little bit there at the end, but you'll, you have those. I, I hate that because it's kind of crunch time in women's basketball, and we really needed that win, but um, it's definitely part of it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, hopefully, you know, we'll talk about it in a minute, but they got back on track their next game against Missouri, um, but we'll get into that later. But, you know, so it's one game that they dropped, like you said, getting into crunch time. So hopefully down the stretch in these next few weeks before tournament time rolls around, they they get some good, more good wins in their back pocket. Yeah, need to, need to carry some of that momentum for sure. We'll uh, jump over to men's basketball here against Mississippi State on February 11th. Um, Arkansas lost a close one in this one, 70 to 64. Uh, it was a tough fought game. It was kind of a low scoring game, at least for the first half. And uh, points were hard to come by. A lot of a lot of tough defensive possessions. Um, Anthony Black led the team in scoring with 23 points, followed by Ricky Council with 13 points, and Devo Davis had seven. Um, so we've kind of talked to it in episodes past where we did a good job kind of sharing the scoring load. It was a little bit more difficult this game for sure. Um, you see that in that stat line, definitely. Um, Ricky Council and Devo both definitely struggled from the field. I think it was all but two of Ricky's points came from the free throw line. Um, definitely had some struggles on on field shots for sure. But um, Mikael Mitchell and Ricky Council and Devo Davis all tied for the leading rebounder with six rebounds apiece. Anthony Black had five. And then Makai Mitchell had four rebounds. Um, the team shot 42.9% from the field going 21-49. 22.2% from three, going four of 18, and then 69.2% from the free throw line, going 18 and 26. Um, kind of one item of note, Nick Smith did play this game, so his first game back. Um, he had 17 minutes in that game. He scored five points, going two of seven from the field, and was one of four from the three-point line. He also had one rebound and one assist. So definitely need to bounce back against A&M upcoming. Said so this was definitely a a defensive game, a lot of, lot of tough possessions where we were kind of having to force shots at the end of the shot clock. Um, I thought our defense played well as well. But I mean, what are your thoughts on this game, Caleb? Yeah, I think the the thing that overshadowed this game was everybody was excited about Nick Smith's return. I think that was 
you know, big everybody. I know I, I personally was at the game and when he was at the scorer's table to check in for this first time, he got a standing ovation from the entire arena. So um, I kind of think that gives you an idea of what people were expecting from this game. And then I don't know if, you know, that possibly could have gotten to some of the players' heads. You know, he's back. Um, I think a lot of it could have been there was some disruption in the rotation, the flow of things that way um, could have affected this game. I think he played a lot more minutes than a few people thought. You know, we talked to we, – we thought he might play around 10 minutes, but he exceeded that and played 17 minutes. And Coach Musk came out in the postgame presser and said that, you know, he had no minutes restriction. He was full go, so – I think they were just trying to get knock that rust off and get him going. Yeah, I, I think there could have been something to that as far as kind of messing with our momentum to an extent. I, I will say this. I mean, I think this is a game that you needed to have him come in and play at least some minutes um, to start building that, that confidence and kind of start to understand where he fits back into the rotation that we have built, that we've had success on over the last few weeks. Cause you're definitely going to need that, that extra body down the stretch and into tournament time. Um, we've spoken to it before. I mean, Anthony Black, Devo, Ricky Council, those guys, you know, they're, they're logging 37, 38, 39 minutes a game. So if you have one extra guard in there that can, can handle the ball, kind of facilitate the offense, that that'll definitely add to those guys having fresh legs, especially when it comes to tournament time. So I, I think being able to share the load a little bit from kind of that that guard point guard position will be good. I think it's just trying to find how to get him into the rotation without giving up games is is the tricky task, I guess you could say. Um, I, I don't think this game was all was a loss due to Nick Smith specifically at all. Um, I, I know Devo missed several wide open layups in transition. Um, it just didn't seem like it was his night. I mean, he hit a pretty clutch three late in the game, but that was his first um, field goal make of the game too. Up until that point, had quite a few misses. And then there was a couple of uh, defensive possessions where Devo got lost kind of on his man and gave up two, might've been three um, wide open looks at the rim off of inbounds plays, just where he got kind of discombobulated on defense. So, I'm not trying to blame it all on Devo at all either. It's definitely a team game, but there was there was more to it than just Nick Smith coming in and maybe disrupting what our, what we thought was our flow. I think so too, and I think maybe you know you, if you think about it, some of these guys could have been gassed from that was a very intense physical Kentucky game that they had you know just two three days earlier. So to come out and have to you know come play another tough game or out of the gate after a physical tough game like that, you know guys are gonna be tired, but. Um, some of those things you're gonna have that grinder in tournament time playing, you know, two three days in a row. Um, so hopefully they can get back on track with AM coming up on tomorrow. So I think that's one thing we we do have to go on the road again. But I think we've shown with Kentucky and then the South Carolina game that we're putting it together and figuring out the pieces on how to win on the road. So Hopefully we can go down and steal one from Texas A&M, especially that'd be a good win with them still sitting at number two in the conference. Right. I agree with that. Uh, I'm curious to see what the improvements will be made, you know, from from Nick Smith in this game, especially. I mean, obviously you come in, kind of knock maybe some of the nerves off a little bit in that game against Mississippi State. I kind of look to see him maybe have – maybe not a crazy game, but somewhat of a bounce-back game against A&M where we match up a little bit better with them um, as far as size goes and whatnot. And um, 
hopefully he can really kind of start getting his shots to fall and start getting in some rhythm right before tournament time and whatnot. It's very true. And so as I mentioned it earlier, we'll jump over to our Arkansas women's basketball, who on February 12th played Missouri. And Arkansas won this game just flat out big. They won 61-33. to 33. So nearly doubled Missouri on points, where Chrissy Carr led the team in scoring with 18 points, followed by Aaron Barnum with 14 and Michaela Daniels with 11. Aaron Barnum led the team in rebounding with nine, followed by Chrissy Carr with five rebounds and Riley Langerman with four. In this game, the team shot 42.2% from the field, going 19 of 45, 39.1% from the three-point range, going 9 of 23, and 82.4% from the free-throw line, going 14 of 17. Um, And it's also good to note that in this game, you had 12 different players get playing time in this game. With, you know, with it being such a lead, you have able to get some players some good minutes in that maybe don't play a whole lot to see what they can offer down the stretch when maybe you need it. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, I, some of the best things about that, I think, is just some some freshmen getting to see some playing time potentially. Um, that way they know what to expect whenever their time really does come, whether it's this year or next year, whatever the case may be. The more playing time you can get some of your bench players, the better it sets you up for future games, whether it's um, in the current season or for, you know, later on different seasons and stuff. Um, Just getting that experience under those players' belts can really help you kind of build a program. That's true. And I think you see you you see a little bit better shooting percentage this game too, with especially you can't ask for much better from the free throw line going eighty two percent, missing only three free throws. So yeah, can't beat that. They got to the line well, I thought, this game. 17 attempts isn't bad at all, um, especially considering some of our games, they've had a somewhat difficult time getting to the line. Um, so, really, really good overall stat sheet there, I thought. Yeah. So, now we'll jump over to some Arkansas gymnastics, where over the weekend on uh, Arkansas gymnastics competed in a type of round-robin, you know, meet where they – Participated with along with Stanford, Oklahoma, and Alabama, and Arkansas ended up coming in third in this meet with a score of one ninety seven point one two five. And you know, it's a testament, like we've said repeatedly. You know, these scores come down to you know a point or less where you had Stanford score one ninety six point seven two five, Oklahoma have a one ninety eight point one two five and Alabama have a 198 even. So all of these scores, you know, are within a point of each other. Um, seems just like every year gymnastics just gets more competitive and a lot, a lot more close, a lot closer for these programs for this, uh, this meet Arkansas, they scored 49.225 on their vault scored 49.375 on the bars, 49.325 on their beam and a 49.2 on the floor performance. Yeah. I read a, uh, a a stat sheet kind of snippet where I think this was our third performance of the year where we've scored over 197 total. And I know that's kind of the benchmark in gymnastics of um, a good performance or not, I guess you could say. I know it wasn't enough to, to take the win here, but – that consistency coming out of our gymnastics team is how you build a program for sure. Um, I know we've kind of spoken to it off and on all year, but the competition level, but they're doing good things there. Um, wins are hard to come by with, with how tight these competitions are, but we're competing and we're close and we're, we're setting 
um, program records very often. So that that's always good to see signs of improvement like that. Yeah, I think the program's definitely in good hands with uh, Jordan Weber there, you know, former Olympian. I think she's going to continue to bring in talent and, you know, keep Ar Arkansas competitive year in and year out. I agree with that. We'll uh, look at Arkansas tennis briefly. Um, men's tennis at a meet versus Washington on February 10th. Um, they won the match 4-2. to two. And then women's tennis played Memphis on February 10th as well. And they won their match five to two. Um, so tennis picked up a couple of wins over the weeks. So good things there as well. And we'll slide over to some Arkansas track and field where uh, Arkansas men's and, men's and women's track and field both competed at the New, Me the New Mexico Collegiate Classic. Um, after that, you know, the men's team are still remain ranked number one in the country and also are ranked number one in SEC conference rankings. And then you have our women's track and field ranked number three in the country and also coming in at number one in SEC ranking. So that kind of just tells you, you know, like we've said before, how, how good our men's and women's track team and just the program in general is. Definitely a dynasty. I don't know what else to say other than that, man. I mean, it's year in and year out. Love to see it. Yeah, it's true. And so when you talk about looking at these competitive teams, when you look at our men's track team, they rank number one in the following events, the 400, the 60H, the long jump, the triple jump, and the heptapalon. And then they also rank third in the shot put and fourth in the 200. So there's several events that they're coming to the top of the leaderboards week in, week out. Yeah, that's definitely a testament. I mean, being in the top five basically in the country in all those events is how you – win week in and week out so that's that's good to see there um some of the women's rankings we the women rank number one in the 400 meter and then the 60 hurdles and then they rank number two in pole vault and then number four in both the 200 meter and the 5000 yeah so that just like you said you know our women are coming on i think they're they got a little bit slower starting the men but they're they're still leading the conference um in still top five in the country too yeah I mean, it's, still it's you hard to argue with that man. Yeah. And so when you talk about season that has high expectations, that brings us over to you look at our Arkansas softball team this season. We, you know, we talked with KB Sides last week about it. And, you know, they got in full swing this weekend alone where they had five games down in the uh, UNLV tournament down in Vegas. And so, you know, the, just we're about to go through some of these scores here, but this kind of will give you an idea of what you're going to expect this season, where on February 10th, Arkansas softball kicked off versus Weber State, where they won this game 8-0 to zero in five innings. Junior Callie Turner started and pitched four innings and only surrendered two hits and did not allow an extra base hit. And then freshman Robin Heron made her debut in the fifth inning and came in for a one-two-three inning to end the game and had two ground outs and one strikeout. You had eight Razorbacks score a hit or record a hit. Junior Kylie Halverson went two for three. Spencer Prigg had three RBIs. Graduate Christina Foreman had a solo shot for the Hogs with her first home run of the season. Reagan Johnson, Hannah Gamble, Rylan Hedgecock, and Reagan Kramer 
all recorded hits as well. So just that first game alone tells you there's going to be some offensive firepower this season for the soft what, softball hashtag bogle bombers. Yeah, I, I, that's a great way to start the year. I mean, everybody was getting in on the, the hit column. So good things coming there. I mean, we'll, we'll cap over a few more of these games, but that was a great way to start it out. That kind of cascade us into the the next game they played down there in Vegas. They they played UNLV on the tenth as well, part of that doubleheader. Um, they won this game eleven to zero, also in five innings. So, I mean, they they got hot and stayed hot all day on the tenth. Um, redshirt senior right-handed pitcher Janice Delcy got to start here. Um, she's kind of a phenom. Anyway, she she pitched a complete game with a two-hit shutout. Um, in five innings, she had five strikeouts, only two hits. And then kind of flipping over to the offense side, we had three home runs in this game, six hits. We uh, gathered 10 walks, so great job being patient at the plate there and had 11 total RBIs. Um, Christina Foreman hit her second home run with a three-run shot in the third. And then junior Kylie Halverson and sophomore Spencer Prigg also had home runs, so they got in the home run sheet. Yeah. Craig had career highs with two hits and three RBIs in this game. So, I mean, not much but positive things there to say about this game against UNLV, the second part of that doubleheader on the 10. Yeah. And then and you jump over to the next day on the 11th where they played Weber State again, and they won this game 11-0 to in five innings as well. So it seems like, you know, you won't see many, if this trend continues, many full games uh, out of the softball team. Um, if their offensive firepower keeps up. But in this game, freshman Robin Heron and Nikki McGaffin combined for a one-hit shutout where Robin pitched three innings with one hit and five strikeouts. And McGaffin required retired six of seven batters and struck out one. And then you jump back over to the offensive side where they Ridgebacks combined for eight hits. The Hogs had two home runs in this game. Ryland Hedgecock tied her career high in RBIs with three after going two two for two at the plate. Junior Hannah Gamble had a two-run shot to deep center in the fourth. And the freshman freshman Hannah Hammonson hit a home run to left center in the fifth as well. The the bombers are back, man. I mean, it's it's as simple as that. They're I think they're gonna be able to swing the bats all year. Obviously, this isn't conference play, so I mean the uh the pitching is in this stout, but this is what you want to see in these games, not struggle wins. Um, you want to see these type of games kind of cement the fact that you have top talent. They they definitely did that here. Um, the, the second game of this doubleheader as well, we played Southern Utah. Um, we won this game 10-2, to two, finally gave up a couple of runs. <laughs> um, freshman Hannah Kamenzin made her first career start where she pitched three innings, had one strikeout. Um, the junior, Callie Turner, pitched the final four innings, had four strikeouts and zero runs on one hit. Um, Spencer Prigg hit a three-run shot. Christina Foreman and Taylor Riho had multi-hit games with two hits apiece. And then Christina Foreman hit her third home run in the season with a, with a solo shot. Um, so three home runs across four games, I believe, at that point. Um, so kind of to my point earlier, getting hot and staying hot kind of start this this weekend out good good to see that that's very true and I think somebody mentioned it at this rate you know I know the team last year set the record for most home runs in the season and at this rate that could that record could be in trouble to be broke again not going to jinx anything but you know 
at this rate, there's a very good chance of that. But then we'll jump over to February the 12th, the final game of the, the tournament in the weekend in Vegas where Arkansas played Baylor, and they took this game 11-7, to seven, so a little bit more competitive game, a little bit full seven innings. Um, Redshirt junior Janice Dels received her second start of the season and struck out one and allowed one earned run in three and a third innings. And she was relieved by freshman left-hander Robin Heron, who pitched two-thirds of an inning and gave up two unearned runs. And then she was relieved by junior Callie Turner, who recorded her first save after finishing the final three innings with two strikeouts no, and no hits or walks. And then again, you know, we continue the pattern here where Kylie Halverson had a three-run home run to deep center in the fourth, and Spencer Brick had a two-run home run in the seventh, followed by a solo shot by Atalia. Atalia Rijo. So, you know, just a 5-0 going 5-0 on the weekend in Vegas and, and, you know, showing, you know, this team is going to be pretty talented and stout this year. And, you know, KB Sides told us last week there's a lot of studs on this team this year, and, you know, she wasn't lying. Yeah, I agree. I I think the the biggest thing for me, I mean, we all knew Janice Delcy was going to be good. Um Having some some extra depth on the pitching staff with kind of Callie Turner coming in and getting that save, pitching a full three innings with two strikeouts with no hits or walks. I mean, that's having having people like that in your bullpen to come in in games where you know some of your stars might be struggling is huge, especially in the softball world where that's not always as common. Um, that that's going to be pretty good for us. And then obviously the offense already looks like they're in mid-season swing, man. I mean, they're they're getting out there, hitting the ball all over the field, really, and coming in with some of those clutch home runs whenever you need them. And that's that's how you win ball games. They, they showed that last year. Hoping this kind of gets them into full swing early. And they have a really good non-conference that carries them over into conference play. So, yeah, um, this, this got us to fourth in the country, our, our ranking now. So, great start to the season for the softball girls. That's very true. They'll go into, you know, another, another tournament down at Clearwater, Clearwater, Florida this next weekend where they'll, they'll see a little bit more stiffer competition as they're going to play, you know, three ranked teams out of their four games. And we'll, we'll preview those coming up in a little bit. But, you know, they'll, they'll have a little bit tougher real tests coming up, you know, this, this coming weekend. But now we'll jump into a little bit of Arkansas baseball preview. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit with a former baseball player in a little bit, but we'll give you a little bit of preview as, you know, baseball season's here and upon us, and it starts up this this coming weekend. It's here before you know it, and uh, I think there's a lot of optimism and hype around this this upcoming season. Yeah, I, I think everybody was a little bit taken aback by the news about Jackson Wiggins having to have Tommy John surgery. That's definitely a blow to the pitching staff. But, um, you know, we – we saw Dave Van Horn come out and say, even with that loss, he still thinks this is one of his best pitching units he's ever had. And um, Dave Van Horn doesn't say stuff like that on a whim ever. Um, so th- that's pretty pretty strong words coming from him. And I'm, th- that makes me have a lot of confidence in our starting pitching. And then obviously I, I think we have some of the best relievers in the country, Brady Tiger, guys like that. Um, curious to see how he utilizes everybody this year. I, I always trust him to push the right buttons for sure, but really excited about this year. I've already got some tickets to come up there on some weekends and catch a few of these series. So it should be a great year for the baseball boys. 
was about to say, yeah, that's very true. And when you look at it, Arkansas brought in eight transfers over the offseason to kind of retool and reload from some of the guys that left. So when you go through those transfers that came in, you have Cody Frank, a right-handed pitcher that came in from Nebraska that's going to, you know, like we said, add to that pitching depth that, you know, Dave Van Horn's very confident in. And then um, you have Jared Wagner transferring over from Creighton. He's he's plays in the outfield. So, you, you know, we'll see what the rotations look like starting up. And then you have Harold Cole coming from San Jack to Arkansas. So, you know, not our first uh, transfer from that, that small JUCO school. So, um, and then you got Hal Kilgore a catcher coming in from New Mexico state kind of, you know, that's the one position we're going to have to replace with the loss of Michael Turner and definitely need some backup there. And then speaking of that, you know, we had Hudson Polk transfer over from Oklahoma. He's another catcher that Dave Van Horn came out and said, you know, right now, either of these guys could start. It just depends. He said, as we get closer to the season, we'll know more sure who could be starting. Um, and then, you have from COCF transfer Caleb Cali plays in the infield. So maybe some replacements there for, you know, that loss of the great duo of battles and more that it's going to be sad to not see them there this year, but we'll have those to big, big shoes to fill right there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I hated losing those guys, but man, they, they were so fun to watch for there for a few years. So many double plays that, I mean, nobody else makes. I mean, frankly, they were, it was just highlight play after highlight play. A lot of fun to watch that. The number of no-look throws that Robert Moore had throughout the season was ridiculous. You know, he he deserved that golden glove he got for a reason. So, and then a couple more transfers to round out here from Austin Peavy. We got infield John Bolton. And then from Kansas, infielder Tavian Josenberger. So, Quite a few transfers coming in in several different positions, catcher, infield, outfield. So we'll see how the, the lineup shakes out, especially with, you know, the talent we still got coming back. I think um, you got Peyton Stovall, who's going to move over back to second, his natural position. Um, you got a, a few, you know, highly regarded freshmen that are coming in. So it would be interesting to see how the, you know, lineups shake out, especially at the beginning of the season and throughout the – as we go, I know the Arkansas starts out with a few tough matchups where in the round robin down in uh, Arlington where they're playing at Global Life Field, they, you know, they're going to be playing three top 25 ranked teams with Texas, TCU, and in a, a big rematch with Oklahoma State from the regional we had with them last year. Yeah, that's definitely a test right out the gate. So, I mean, uh, Van Horn's got his work cut out for him on – kind of to your point reloading and figuring out where everybody needs to be i i don't i wouldn't read too much into these games i mean if we can go down there and pick up wins awesome i mean that that's great but I, these are games where you really are trying to find out where your pieces fit especially with how many new pieces he has um it's going to be great competition to really understand who you need where where people fit in the lineup as far as batting order you know what makes sense on all that and just Try to get guys playing time so you can actually see um, how, you know, practice is one thing, games is another thing. So how do they handle their self on the mental side um, in big games like this? And 
going to be a big learning experience for us, and hopefully we can kind of see some of the talent showcase through, maybe pick up some wins here. It would be awesome. That's true, and I think this will be a good test for this pitching staff, especially with that, like, like we said, that loss of Wiggins. We'll, we'll kind of have to play around to see who's going to kind of step up to fill in that third role. You know, you've got, I think, from what I saw, our weekend rotations kind of consist of, you know, you got Will McIntyre coming back from last year after he had that late season surge of, you know, coming out of really nowhere and, you know, becoming a rock for us throughout that postseason. And then you got, you know, Hagen Smith coming back to, you know, as a good lefty. Uh, but then I think Wiggins was kind of slotted for that, you know, Sunday series finisher guy, but now we're going to have to find somebody else to step up into that spot. Yeah, I could see that kind of being a by committee approach for the first few weeks, um, maybe in a month or two or three, uh, until he can really find somebody that kind of steps up and shines. Um, once you get to kind of later on in the season, getting geared for the postseason, that's I mean that's how you find those guys. I mean, McIntyre's a prime example of that. That's true. And so that 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 baseball is going to get started up this this coming weekend. So. You know, get ready to tune in for that. I know it'll be presented on Flow Sports, unfortunately, but you know maybe there'll be some streams out there that we can. All hog fans can get out there and watch the opening weekend of baseball. We'll jump over to some upcoming events as we are, you know, have with baseball season getting fired up, softball season in full swing now. You know, a chock full weekends now. So you start off on February fifteenth with Arkansas men's tennis going up against Tulsa. You have Arkansas women, Arkansas swimming and diving competing in the SEC championship all the way from February 15th through the 18th. And as we mentioned before, we've got Arkansas men's basketball versus Texas A&M coming up tomorrow as well at an 8 o'clock tip-off, I believe, if you're central time, so that we got the late game. But that's a game that the Hogs really need to be bounce back and get a win from to help solidify one of those upper seeds in the NCAA tournament. And then women's basketball on February 16th as they take on Tennessee. So hopefully they can, you know, keep winning. And like we said, it's come down to crunch time and get some good wins in their back pocket for postseason play. You have some Arkansas gymnastics going up against a meet with Kentucky on February the 17th. And then, as we mentioned before, Arkansas baseball gets kicked off with a match matchup versus number 19, Texas, on the 17th. And then Arkansas men's and women's track and field are going to be participating in the Arkansas qualifier on February 17th. You have Arkansas women's tennis going up against Baylor on February 17th. And then down in Clearwater, Florida, you have Arkansas going up against number 19-ranked Duke on the 17th. And then... On the 17th in a doubleheader, they're also taking on number seven, Florida State. And then on February 18th, you have Arkansas baseball going up against number 18, TCU, in that round robin down in Texas. And then on the 18th as well, you have softball taking on number 22, Louisiana. And then as well, a doubleheader taking on Indiana. And then on coming up on Saturday, you got a big home matchup for Arkansas men's basketball where they're taking on Florida uh, need to win out the, these last couple home games, get the wins, and hopefully steal a couple on the road. I'm hoping we go, you know, at least can split the Tennessee-Bama matchups on the road. I think that would be good to say that if we, if we could split those, that's going to be some tough matchups we got. 
that'll really add kind of to that those resume type wins like we got against Kentucky. If we can pick up one of those, I, I would really like to see that. I, doesn't really matter to me which one. Um, I think Tennessee probably the easier matchup, but either one of those, if we can get lucky, still both of them. I mean, come on with it. <laughs> That's very true. And then you got again rounding up the weekend down in Florida, Arkansas softball taking on Nebraska on the nineteenth. And then also on the 19th, Arkansas wins women's basketball taking on Georgia. And then you have Arkansas women's golf playing in the Moon Golf Invitational uh, from Friday, February 9th, or February 19th through the 21st. Arkansas women's tennis versus SMU on February 19th. And then Arkansas baseball is back again with a matchup against number nine, Oklahoma State on February the 19th. And then you have your baseball midweek home opener on February 21st versus Grambling. And then men's basketball is taking on Georgia at home on February 21st for the last home game of the season before we get close to SEC tournament or second to last home game as we will play Kentucky for the final game of the regular season before SEC tournament. And then Arkansas softball wraps it up versus number 15 Arizona in midweek series as they get ready to start up at home in I believe it's an Arkansas Invitational Tournament at home. So a lot of events, you know, a lot of sports, Arkansas sports, take your pick to watch over the weekend and the rest of the week. Um, something out there for everybody. But we'll move on to our hog talk segment where this week we are talking to a former Arkansas baseball player who played for Arkansas from 2019 to 2021. In his sophomore season in Arkansas in 2019, he was Arkansas's top hitter with a .345 average over 58 games. As a senior, he was named All-SEC First Team, won SEC Player of the Week once, won Collegiate Baseball Newspaper National Player of the Week once, and was signed as an undrafted free agent in 2021 with the Philadelphia Phillies. We're going to have joining the show here in a little bit, former Razorback baseball player Matt Goodhart. All right, we're excited to welcome you to this week's Hog Talk segment, former Ridgeback baseball player Matt Goodhart. So, Matt, how how you how are you today? I'm doing fantastic, living the dream. So, let's start with you. So, how's life going right now? What do you got going on? Kind of what's going on with you? Yeah, um, man, I'm pretty busy right now. Um, I'm currently in the off season. Um, I'm still playing. Uh, playing independent professional baseball. Um, as of right now, I'm supposed to return to the Lincoln Salt Dogs in Lincoln, Nebraska, a part of the American Association of Professional Baseball. Um, there's some trade negotiations being going right now. Um, so whether or not I for sure returned there, not for sure, but um, I do have a two-year contract with them. So that's what that's what I've got right now. And um, right now in the off season, I'm actually a, an assistant high school coach to a private school in my hometown, uh, Columbia Christian High School. And um, we're getting that rolling too. And also doing some private lessons in my free time. So I'm staying busy. That's awesome, man. Good to hear that you're coaching on the side. I like that. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. I love it. Man, I'll kind of take you back in time a little bit here. Um, I know you played some community college, JUCO stuff at San Jacinto. Um, so coming out of that, what was your recruiting process like to end up landing with the Hogs? Can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah, it's a it's pretty uh pretty interesting story. Um, 
So my freshman year at San Jack, um, so coming out of high school, I really didn't have just a, I didn't have a, just a plethora of D1 offers. Um, I had a few uh, mid-majors, but um, really not any big division ones were, were very interested in me out of high school. Um, but after, uh, after I got the ball rolling my freshman year at San Jack, my, uh, I would say my, my value went up quite a bit. Um, other, some other SEC schools and some other uh, power five schools were looking at me and um, uh, just a couple of offers, you know, really, you know, written offers, but really um, Arkansas was pursuing me pretty heavily after, um, you know, the possibility of getting me after one year uh, at San Jack. And I was talking to coach Thompson, coach Van Horn, coach at the time, coach West Johnson. And um, you know, they're just, I was kind of talking to all of them, you know, here and there throughout the throughout the year and finally uh later on in the year um my coach of San Jack had mentioned um hey if uh if you're going to end up signing with another you know if you're going to end up signing an SEC or whatever um kind of need to know that pretty soon if possible because well what we were going to do is allocate your um your scholarship money to some you know start using it to recruit if if you know if you're going to sign so maybe, maybe speed things up, find out if Arkansas is, you know, going to do the, you know, if they're going to, if we're going to get the ball rolling with them, let's see if we can get that going. And sure enough, I, uh, I mentioned that to coach Van Horn and he said, uh, so this was on a, I believe this was on a Wednesday that this conversation happened with coach Van Horn. And um, that weekend was when they were going to Baton Rouge in 2018. Um, This is a, uh, 2018 Kerstad, Fletcher, Martin, all them. Uh, Kerstad, Martin were Fletchers. I mean Fletchers. Kerstad and Martin were freshmen, and they um uh, they travel the day before the series starts. Every time they travel there, practice at the field. That way, we get kind of acclimated to the field. We're there the night before. You know, we don't have to travel and play the day that we travel. You know, it's nice being able to do that whenever. You're at a bigger school. And anyways, um, told that to coach Van Horn. He said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. This was on a Thursday. And I was like, I was like taken aback. See me, see me tomorrow. We, we were playing a double header earlier in the day. So uh, they ended up flying uh, coach Van Horn and coach Johnson. Both flew to our double header in Alvin, Texas. Um, they actually, I'm not sure if they missed the practice or what, but uh, they flew from there to their practice that night and then played the series and they uh after the doubleheader they offered me that night after their practice and I committed I think I committed the next week that's awesome man that's a cool story yeah that is and kind of following that up before um you know being an Arkansas kid did you always want to play for the Hogs is that something that you hoped you could achieve at some point so <laughs> I know I'm probably going to ir- irritate a couple of hog fans whenever I say this, but I, I really didn't grow up, um, a, you know, a deep hardcore Razorback fan. Um, and not because I was a fan of another division one school or anything like that. Um, I really just wasn't super locked into division one baseball growing up because my, um, uh, little background, my dad coached at Southern Arkansas university for 23 years. Actually, um, he was there for a really long time and, really division two baseball was kind of the thing for us. You know, we really, really spent all of our time around 
Division II baseball at the time was the Gulf South Conference and then turned into the Great American Conference. And, you know, Division I baseball was just kind of an afterthought for me, um, growing up at least. And then as, of course, I got into high school and really kind of made a name for myself, obviously that was more of a uh, more of the time where I started considering playing Division I baseball. It, 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 it really wasn't ever a deal where, hey, I really just want to be a Razorback to say I was a Razorback. My goal, my goal really had always been to play professional baseball, play in the big leagues, and I really didn't care, you know, what kind of stepping stones I had to take in order to achieve that goal, whether that was playing at Arkansas or play at Oregon or play I'm just naming some random things or even forego college altogether and get drafted and sign out of high school, which was a, at the time, you know, a, a possibility. And, um, you know, whenever I, uh, whenever I was at San Jack and um, there, I, I had visited, let's see, let, let me backtrack a little bit. I had visited Arkansas in uh, junior high, high school, saw their facilities. It wasn't like a, I was being recruited kind of visit. It was more so a, I went to a prospect camp and got to see all the facilities and stuff. And then after talking to Coach Van Horn my freshman year, Stan Jack understood sort of how they applied everything and what all they did and some Zoom calls with guys and FaceTime and phone calls, the whole shebang. So I had seen the facilities and never actually had to visit it while I was being recruited heavily. So after hearing uh, what Coach Thompson had, you know, what Coach what Coach Thompson implemented offensively after speaking with the strength and conditioning coach, Blaine Kinsley at the time, um, after all hearing all that, I knew that I if I had if I wanted a really good chance of, you know, being drafted or signing to play professional baseball, then I thought that going to Arkansas would be a really good decision in terms of my development as well as and not to mention that year seeing all their success in 2018 and what they're what they had coming uh what they had coming back I also wanted to win you know playing in Omaha playing for a national championship was was not a was not an afterthought for me either you know no matter where I'm at it I want to win whether whether I'm successful or not too you know obviously I want to be successful but winning is just as important to me that's fair, man. I'm glad you decided to be a hog for sure. I definitely enjoyed rooting you on while you were up there. Um, you kind of spoke to a little bit already on some of your conversations with Van Horn, but kind of walk us through what's it what what's it like to play for Van Horn? What are his expectations of players? I mean, for us fans, you know, we see him on the sideline. He's such a stoic looking individual. Is he kind of that way all the time in person, or is there some differences there? Um I wouldn't say he's quite so uh, stoic as you would say in, uh, you know, especially whenever you're around him every day. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, especially whenever you're younger, there's a lot of, I guess, kind of deer in a headlights look for a lot of guys whenever they're around Coach Van Horn, just because of the amount of respect you have for him. And he's kind of that guy. He's that guy whenever he walks into the room your attention kind of goes, gravitates towards him, whether he's, you know, whether he's trying to demand it or not, he's just, he's coach Van Horn, you know, he's regarded as one of the greatest coaches in the history of college baseball. And um, especially, and you get to know him too. He's incredibly intelligent. He thinks through every single, every single scenario, you know, you know, sometimes at first he makes a decision, you know, like, 
Ooh, I'm not sure if that's going to pan out. And it's like my dad said one time, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, my dad having coached for a long time, he'll see a decision that coach makes. And he's like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I would agree with that. And then he's like, and you know what? It ends up working out every time it works out every single time. And it's just, you know, I think, you know, coming from my dad, who I would, who I would regard as a, as a very, very intelligent baseball mind and very, um, very experienced as well hearing him say something like that about another coach is you know very eye-opening for me as well and and of course even if he hadn't said something like that having played for coach van horn for as long as i did and gotten to know him i would still regard him as obviously one of the greatest that there is fair enough man yeah that's crazy to hear you know and i think that's a test to what you said you know he's been doing it so long he's probably been through all those scenarios that he could have been through a similar situation and decided to make a different decision that he didn't make last time. But like you said, I think he is one of the greatest and will probably, you know, continue to be like that as for as long as he coaches. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, something, um, it, it, it shows, I think one of the best testaments to, Coach Van Horn's, I guess I would go, go as far to say brilliance is how he's been, he's been in the game for a really long time. And obviously as time goes on, a lot of things evolve and baseball has really evolved throughout the time he's been a coach. He's been coaching for a really long time. Obviously it's changed a lot over the time he started coaching to the time it is now. I think the mark or the, I think what really elucidates how good of a coach he is, is how, as the times have changed, he has not been afraid to evolve with the game in order to be successful. You know, you think of, you know, maybe maybe there's a lot of the really, really in-depth analytics that he doesn't fully grasp yet. Well, guess what? He's going to hire your Nate Thompsons, your Matt Hobbses, and the other guys that are under the radar that don't get talked about. And I want to kind of shed some spotlight on those guys like Blaine Kinsley, the strength conditioning coach. And um, let's see, uh, go with Zach Barr also. He's one of the uh, pitching coordinators. Um, and uh, well, while I was there, he's not there anymore. He's now at uh, North Carolina Charlotte. But Phil Sibuhar, who is the hitting metrics and hitting analytics guy, those guys that fly under the radar that don't make the, you know, don't make the big, the big numbers and also don't get the recognition, those are the those are the the pieces that build the foundation to what coaches, you know, what he's built there. You know, those guys, you know, I can't say enough great things about the those under the radar hires and pickups that the that the program has, you know, that the program has acquired over the years that have made Arkansas what it is. Yeah. And so kind of following up on that, so most of your time in Arkansas, you you designated hit most of the time was some pretty outstanding results. So is that something you really enjoyed or did you possibly want to play some other positions and get to see the field more often? What kind of was your take on that? Um, yeah. So man, that's a, <laughs> that's a long answer, but um, I, you know, there, there are times where I enjoyed DHing and I still, I still think that I still enjoy DHing some too, because uh, I did some of that also this past year in pro bowl towards the end of the year more so than the beginning because of some pickups and moving some guys around. But 
um, at the beginning of my time at Arkansas, I was really spending most of my time in the outfield. And in fact, I started opening day in 2019 in left field. And looking back on it, do I think I would have been considered more valuable in the draft and signing if if I was able to play multiple positions and be more diverse defensively? Absolutely. Um, I would love to be a – I mean, obviously, I'd love to be a plus-plus defender like the outfielders that ended up being in the outfield instead of me throughout the year. I think there's, I think there's several factors to that. Um, one, one of the factors to that was Christian Franklin. I mean, you, you guys know how good he is. He is incredible out there. There's, and I can say, looking back on this now, you know, I can 100% humbly say he's significantly better defender than me in the outfield. It's not even close. And, but we both had to be in the lineup because of our bats. And and also, Coach knew that we were both young guys. He was a freshman at the time, and I was a sophomore. We weren't – we were going to be back the following years, too. And, you know, had COVID not hit, uh, we'd have both been back at least – I would have been back at least one more year in Franklin and another two. So, I feel like, too, there's some development inside of that as well. And then also, you know – Looking back on it in April, um, a lot of people don't know all the intricate details to it, but in April of 2019 is when I had my my shoulder injury. And a lot of people don't know how significant that was. Once that happened, I pretty much was out. I, you know, tried to rehab it. And I got some, I got some injections and stuff, you know, to, to get, you know, to not have to harp on the pain. Um, I had to wear a brace for the first couple of months to make sure that it didn't come out of socket whenever I'd swing. And I I was happy to be swinging, to be honest. Um, it was on my right arm. So as long as I finished with two hands, I really didn't have a whole lot of an issue. Um, but that being said, my throwing arm, uh, it was one of those deals where I pretty much couldn't throw. Uh, I'd try to go I there for the first month. I pretty much just didn't do any defense. I just kind of stood around the whole time. I could catch. I could flag down fly balls. I could swing my arm when I run, you know, but – Anytime we did anything that involved throwing, I wasn't going to throw. And, you know, a month later, tried to throw a little bit. I, you know, still bothering me, told our trainers, like, I just, I'm sorry. I, I can't do it. I cannot physically throw, not because of the pain. I just, not because I can't work through the pain. I do not have enough stability to get it from one place to another. And he's like, all right, well, I mean, you've been DHing anyway, so whatever. We'll worry about it at the end of the year. So, and as a matter of fact, um, as the year goes on, year ends. Um, I ended up getting go uh, any ended up getting sent to Cape Cod, the summer ball league in Cape Cod, and the deal was there. I ended up, after the after the year, I ended up getting it scanned, getting it looked at, got everything looked at. Um, the way it works is with your labrum. Most overhead athletes have a torn labrum to some extent. Now, to how to what extent is kind of the question, you know especially pitchers, you're not going to find a pitcher at in the SEC that doesn't have a partially torn labrum, actually, believe it or not, or rotator cuff that's frayed um, kind yeah, of I've heard, I've heard but, that. Uh, right, and, and same with hips. And anyway, getting off, you know, down a rabbit hole because I'm a nerd, you can kind of tell. But anyway, um, the deal was, okay, we know it's torn. We can tell it's torn pretty good. But if we can strengthen everything around it and you can manage the pain, probably won't have to have surgery okay great go through rehab i'm out there for about a month um month goes on rehab's not progressing real quick finally 
it's probably three weeks in. We also have a really good strength coach out there and a trainer, and uh, we're, they're working with me through it, communicating with our trainer at Arkansas. Finally, I'm supposed to be at about 50%. Anyway, it's like I'm not progressing very quickly. Corey, our trainer, says, okay, let's um, let's get you to about 60 feet, which is home to the mound, and let's let's get you going. Let's let's rear back and throw one, and let's see how it goes. And I was like, all right, you know, I was a little nervous about it, but whatever. You know, it's been a while since I actually had the injury. Got kind of loosened up, went through it, and as as it's coming this way, and it's going forward, I can feel it slip out of socket a little bit as I'm like pronating forward, and immediately I started blacking out a little bit, got lightheaded. I was like, oh, uh, uh, nope. So anyway, I uh, ended up playing that night. DH was obviously DHing the whole time I was out there. And uh, anyway, called our trainer and said, man, that I'm sorry. I just, I don't know what to tell you. And he's like, all right, well, I'll tell you what, let me talk to the surgeon and uh, let me talk to the surgeon and we'll see what's going on. And um, anyway, called me back literally like 30 minutes later and it's like, all right, pack your stuff. See ya. And this was on like a Thursday, I think. He said, you're going to have surgery on Monday. It's like, oh, sure, okay. So Get me fixed. there I go. <laughs> Drove from Massachusetts back to Arkansas about 48 hours and had surgery on Monday and started the rehab Started the rehab process. I remember, it's funny, I, I came to after the surgery and I obviously been reading about all this stuff. Once again, I'm a nerd and asked the surgeon, you know, he's telling me how it went. And I said, so uh, how was it? Uh, how many anchors did I get? That kind of thing. He goes, you got five anchors in your anterior posterior labrum and uh, had to use another to fill uh, to fill the hole in your humeral head and that kind of thing. He goes, good thing you got that taken care of. You weren't going to be able to throw with that. Uh, and of course, he had a kind of a southern drawl. So the, he goes, man, a big old labral tear. <laughs> Whatever I came to, I was like, all right, whatever. But it's funny because uh, here I am. This is – we're in – February of 23 and I had surgery in July of 29 or 2019 and there's still a lot of things that I can't quite do um there's a like you know you talk about lifting weights in the gym and stuff you know how typical back squat I still can't back squat I still can't get my arm back there um I can throw I can throw pretty well actually as long as I keep it in certain positions I, I can't I used to be able to pitch from like low three quarter but I can't lay back that way anymore and like some things like where you go you rotate out this way but there's just no strength there whatsoever i've been doing the same rehab strength thing for about three years and just never really has gotten any stronger because part of that recovery process was them taking part of my rotator cuff and filling in the bones so part of my rotator cuff is actually not there there's a lot mm. a lot there but yeah, I had that pretty gruesome shoulder injury, and I think that um, that shoulder issue had a lot to do with why I didn't play defense for a solid year and a half to two years as well. Because, I mean, it was it, it was tough enough for me to compete with the guys that were there when I was completely healthy, full arm strength, could do everything I wanted to, and I was still probably not one of the best nine defenders there. Well, you take out my arm strength and the lack of reps that I've had, you know, lack of reps for the last year and a half, there is pretty much just no question. I was just going to DH and, you know, it was, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a, I've accepted defeat thing. I kept working on it. In fact, my last year I did end up playing outfield the last 
uh, finally got my arm strength good enough to where I wasn't so much of a liability. Um, as a matter of fact, and then the <laughs> the kind of light bulb happened whenever we were playing catch with a football at Ole Miss, and uh, <laughs> this was on that uh, I think I think the Saturday game where Nick Hazy started and we started all right-handed bats in the lineup. And, you know, he, he had like an opponent average of like a 120 against left on left. So coach Van Horn's like, you know what, you know, playing one of these, one other one of these decisions that he makes that just worked every right-handed guy that he started. Some of the guys that hadn't started all year, some of the guys, you know, not a whole lot of at bats and we hit Nick, you know, we faced Nick Hazy and we faced him better than pretty much, I would say many other teams had all year and it worked. Tennessee came out every left-handed hitter that usually played right back in the lineup. I pinch hit. <laughs> exactly. And I, I went right in pinch hit against their ended up being their closer. I think his name's like Treadwell or something, Treadaway, something. I don't know. Dude threw pretty good. Anyway, I, I mentally was not locked in at all. <laughs> I get admit that looking back at it blew my doors off. Right. So, of course, I am just PO'd walking back to the dugout. Coach Van Horn's like, you're upset about that at bat, right? I guess I'll kind of transition over. You spoke to it a little bit earlier. Um, playing in professional baseball now, you're playing for the Lincoln Salt Dogs or sort of currently kind of waiting to hear some things, I guess, on that. Um, right. Are you enjoying that? You know, do you have what's all your potential there as far as being traded or working your way back into potential major lineups and things like that? I think you signed with Philadelphia undrafted, correct? Can you walk us through that a little bit as well? Yeah. So my last year at Arkansas, um, I ended up going back to Cape Cod after my last year at Arkansas I was out there. Um, uh, sat out, was listening to the draft. Um, I guess, I man, honestly, for, two or three different years was, was I a fringe draft guy where like, Hey, you could, you could hear your name called. You may not, you just never really know kind of thing. And, um, you know, I was pretty disappointed my last year whenever I didn't hear my name called. Cause I really thought that it was really going to be the year and it didn't happen. I was pretty disappointed and I was just hanging out, but uh, bef- I was just between, uh, was between batting practice and one of our games actually. And, um, my agent called, you know, sent me a text and said, Hey, you want to be a Philly? <laughs> anyway, called him immediately. And, um, you know, went through all that and my, and this is obviously before I knew all the NIL stuff was going on. And really before I knew a lot about what was going to happen the next year. And of course, Arkansas was said, Hey, if you want to come back, you know, everything's staying the same. Um, you have you obviously you have a home here. Um, if you sign, we get that too. the The issue the issue is with not having signed when I did. I'm kind of at the mercy of the mercy of the league at that point, for lack of better wording. They don't like signing guys that are at. I would have been a 23 year old, 23 year old with a long injury history, and I'm not sure I would have gotten more money and. Obviously, I don't want to sound like the money hungry guy, but at the same time, you know, being a if if you know anything about Pro Bowl, you need as much as you can as possibly get as much as you can get out of your signing bonus to live off of, because you make less than nothing in minor league ball. It's it's atrocious. It's criminal how much 
these guys make for the most part. They don't they're not living off of their the money that they're continually getting in. They're living off their signing bonus. Some guys that may be five grand, some guys that may be five million. <laughs> but that's what they're living off of. Because the minor league guys are making like, you know, they're I remember spring training, you know, we did the math and at one point we we calculated we're making like we're, <laughs> spring training, we were making like six dollars a day or something like that in spring training. We were out there for like eight hours at some days. Yeah, and it's just I, unbelievable. I looked it up. So, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, I looked it no, up one time, and I think uh, I, I go to several Travelers games in, in Little Rock, and me and a couple of my cousins were just curious, and I, it was something ridiculous. Like the average is like $13,000 a year, and I think that even takes into account the guys that are making quite a bit. <laughs> so that's a really low average, man. I mean, I, I can't imagine trying to live off that. So I, I definitely understand what you're saying. You think you did the right thing for sure. I don't think anybody at Arkansas was knocking you at all. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you you never know what you're going to see in the comment section on Twitter posts and stuff like that, but that's completely besides the point. I would I would for the most part, I would just I would delete Twitter during the season just because I didn't want to see whether I mean, even if, you know, I would enjoy the positivity and stuff like that too, but at the same time, baseball negative enough as it is, you there's no room for any extra negativity. And you know, there. I feel like there have been some Razorbacks in the past that have fallen victim to that. And, you know, whether that's baseball or sports, it's sports in general. It's not just baseball, you know. But it, a, a wise man once told me that life's way too short to spend a single second of it unhappy. So anytime I can cut out negativity, I try to. So that was that was a big motivation. And, and the deleting Twitter during the season and that kind of thing. But Anyway, um, signed with the Phillies, ended up getting released after that following spring training. Thought I had a good spring training, but uh, I think the motivation behind getting released was, once again, a lot of the the health issues. Um, not going to go into a lot of detail on the health issues, but obviously the shoulder being a big part of that, kind of being um, – well, even though I'm not just Ozzie Smith or anything, but – not not being able to throw at the capacity that I was at one time, what I where I was heading to. Um, at one point, I actually had a pretty good arm. You know, <laughs> I was able. I, if that tells you anything for guys that know Zach Plunkett, I used to play catch and long toss with Zach Plunkett, and he's got a cannon. Now, granted, at the end of it, he used to <laughs> the end of our long toss instead of uh, us working it back in, he would just rear back and throw it over the fence into the pond in center field. Bomb. I kid you not, he would just instead, he would just heave it literally into the pond in center field. You know, the guys in the hog are like, oh, look at that. You know, and I'm just like, can you not do that? That's funny. Yeah, I think you kind of hit on it, you know, talking about that connectivity and stuff. You know, I think a lot of fans forget that even though, you know, you're playing for the university and everything at that time, you know, you're still a kid, you know, you're still 18 to 20 years old playing, you know, what it feels like in, in the SEC professional ball, but they still don't take into account. Like, like I said, you're still, you know, a kid playing college baseball. Yeah. Right. And, you know, um, sometimes you, know, you, you just never really know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of variability in the people as well. You know, you got some guys, you know, that are 
skin's as thick as it's going to get. You can't say a thing to them. Their heart rate is not going to change. You know, it's not going to tick up in the slightest. Then you got some people that just, they just don't handle criticism very well. They don't handle things very well. And, you know, if, if it's not something that, if it's not something that you'd say to your kid or someone you care about, then, then it probably shouldn't be said on social media either, you know, and, and then vice versa, you know, there's positivity. Why not say something positive? You know, why not? I can't explain how, how underrated it is for, especially in baseball, you know, you got so much emotion going on and how much, uh, how much staying confident matters in terms of performance and not just, I would say not just baseball once again, but, someone saying something extremely positive to you and how much you can remember that and build off of that, build some confidence off of that and how that can, how you can apply that to your performance. You know, I just, I think back at some of the things that, you know, I still had Instagram. Some people would, you know, DM me, you know, some nice things. Uh, I remember, you know, some comments saying, Hey, you know, some things that I took with me and remembered even whenever I'd travel and say, you know what, you say it was a bad game. I go back and think about that comment. Okay. I I'm still this guy. I can be this guy. And, you know, I've got a lot of support behind me and maybe that's what kept me out of, you know, instead (laughs) I think in my last year, I had like a two for 39 skid, but imagine if I didn't have a little bit, if I had even less positivity, you know, it could have easily just, it could have easily been over 39 or two for 59 or, to the point where I wasn't even in a spot anymore. It could have been that much worse, you know, and just a little bit of positivity goes a long way. It's kind of the essence of what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I played baseball through high school. Obviously was not very good, uh, but uh, it was such a mental game. I know other sports are similar in a way, but baseball is so mentally heavy as far as kind of to your point, performance. Um, if, you're, if your head's not in the right spot, you just – you can't play well. It's It's – in my opinion, one of the one of the games that's the most important about having your headspace right, and uh, I think we as Arkansas fans, as a whole, need to do a better job about not dogging players and stuff like that on bad performances. You guys are humans, man. Um, I have bad performances at work all the time, and nobody's on Twitter bashing me because I didn't get some quota met at work. So I can only imagine how how tough that can be um, from time to time, seeing, seeing mean tweets and things like that. So I, I, I think that's a testament to Hog fans need to do a better job sometimes. We're a loyal fan base, but can sometimes be a toxic fan base, and that's something we need to work on for sure. <laughs> well, you know what? Even though even though the, the maybe the negativity and toxicness, as you would say, is sometimes there, I would still rather have a fan base that's incredibly engaged and incredibly passionate than to not have one at all. You know, I think about some of these programs that just don't have anything. And, and I, I look back, I kind of, I look, I wouldn't say look down, but I, I pity that, you know, that's even though that we experienced the negatives a lot of times, there's a lot of positives that came with it too. And it's, I wouldn't trade the positives for anything in the world. Speaking of those positives, um, playing at bomb, in my opinion, one of the best stadiums collegiate-wise in America. I mean, it always gets rated in kind of the top three in the nation usually as far as facilities and environment and all that. Did did game to game, did, did playing at Bomb, the, the environment there, have an impact on your headspace going into games and getting hyped, you know, getting 
getting ready for games and stuff. Was that a, a big factor, you think, or is it more so just kind of a fan environment that we get to enjoy? I think I think there's both involved. Um, and also, the, I think it depends on – you asked specifically for me, but I think it depends on the person also. Um, I've always – I personally have always been pretty good about tuning out what's going on around me. Now, obviously, at the beginning of the year, there's always – especially the beginning of the year and big, you know – big settings there's always a little bit of uh, a little bit of adrenaline kick sometimes you have to calm yourself down sometimes in really high leverage situations i'd have to kind of cut back on how much caffeine i was taking in and stuff like that you know just to keep keep the heart rate down you know if you're if you're thinking about hitting right you know you don't want to you know I, i'm gonna steal a quote from steve springer the uh, mental coach for the toronto blue jays but steal a quote from him and say, Hey, whenever you're in the box, you don't want to go full, you know, you don't want to go linebacker on him. You want to go free safety. You know, you don't, you got a high heart rate. You make a hundred look, you make a hundred look 110, but you slow your heart rate down, slow your breathing down. It makes a hundred look like 90. And that's kind of, that's kind of how you have to look at it. Whenever you're facing really good, consistent arms on a nightly basis, you have to really, really, slow things down because if you get sped up then a lot of things go wrong in a really short amount of time you start panicking and for me that's what it that's what it is some guys you know some guys do well with that really aggressive intensity and sometimes there's a time for it you know you're there's a difference between your yeah 50 games and you know some of them are at bomb really high leverage home game at bomb and then there's a difference between that and like my past year where we played 110 games and you're day 70 you know you're day 70 on a nine game road skid you know sometimes you gotta listen to a little rage against the machine and get the heart rate up or else you're just not gonna mentally be there at all there's got to be something there right so it's there's a lot of give and take you know just like anything in life there's no black and whites of shades of gray you know so kind of as we get wrapped up here um what kind of expectations do you have for, you know, the Hogs this 2023 season, especially with the news of Jackson Wiggins coming out, injuring his arm and having to have Tom John surgery? Yeah. Well, for starters, that's, man, that's, that's sad. That sucks. You know, I never, I never, I never like hearing about guys get, get injured and, you know, having, you know, having had experience, you know, kind of a, a traumatic injury that really didn't keep me out of just a ton of actual games. Um, you know, I, I think back on, uh, Kevin cops, you know, uh, he was my roommate for a couple of years, one of my best friends and, um, hearing him talk about when he found out he's having Tommy John, this was even before I was, uh, before I was at Arkansas, but he, you know, he was telling me he, you know, he may not want me to share this, but he was just incredibly just destroyed whenever he found out he was having Tommy John, he wasn't going to be a contributor that year and guys that are competitors, you know, they're warriors. That's what their that's their identity. And they have that taken away from them for a significant period of time. And there's always the worry of will I ever be the guy I was before? From time, you know, time to time again, you hear about guys that whether the injury is significant or not, they just don't they're just never the guy they were. And there's always that fear running through guys' minds, unfortunately. But then there's also guys that take it and bounce back from it and are better than they were before and all I can say is you know praying for Jackson and hope that he's that guy hope that he bounces back and is better than he was before from it and Nolan Jackson I think he could be that guy but that being said in regards to the season 
not being in Fayetteville, it's kind of hard to keep up with everything. Um, every, you know, people ask me these, this question, but more so they, they kind of ask me and <laughs> ask me like I had this incredibly in-depth inside scoop, like I'm, you know, standing on the awning with binoculars all the time. <laughs> but um, the truth is what I do know, their pitching is supposed to be really good this year um, based on what I've heard from other people. And I've also heard Coach Van Horn mention in, you know, conferences and stuff that they're pitching with, even with Wiggins being out, it's supposed to be pretty deep. Um, now that doesn't negate the fact that they're losing a, a world-class arm, but I think their pitching is going to be okay. Um, Coach Hobbs is going to, Coach Hobbs is going to work, you know, he's going to play the hand he's dealt every single year and he's going to play it the best that he can. That's one thing I know about Coach Hobbs and the staff that they have. I feel like, I feel like the hog fan base sometimes is worried that uh, all of a sudden the hogs are just going to regress into this non-competitive team. And I think that with what they've built over the last five or six years, especially, you know, really ever since 2017, 2018 year, Ever since then, I don't think that they're going to regress back into a really low totem pole program, if that makes sense. I think they're going to remain. I think they've, I mean, to be honest, I think they've kind of created a dynasty. And it's really, you really have to look on the bar that's been set, you know. Uh, I think of like last year, and well, not necessarily just last year, but I look at, you know, look at the standard that, that has been set and you know if they don't go (laughs) if they don't go 45 and you know 45 and 10 you know oh well what are we going to do we start firing guys and so you know you can you you know you see the comments on you know yeah they they lose a you know maybe they lose two out of three through a two out of three on the road to a team that's got a worse record than them and then i mean my goodness the world's ending you know everybody freaks out (laughs) but you have to look either missing the forest for the trees. You got to look at the big picture. The program is as good as it gets. They're going to have world-class talent, especially now with the way the transfer portal is and the way that NIO works and all that. That's been a game changer. You, you look at those things in particular. You look at the recruiting abilities that Coach Van Horn and the staff has. You look at the development that the program has, and you look at – then you look at the area, you look at Northwest Arkansas, one of the fastest growing areas in the country. It's beautiful. I'd love it up there. I wouldn't mind living up there one day. I mean, there's just no reason that they're not going to be a dynasty, in my opinion. There's no reason they're not going to be successful for a long period of time. And I hope I hope that part of it, if anything goes <laughs> gets as popular on social media, what I say today, I hope that part is is important to the hog fans, you know. I don't think there's any reason that the Hogs won't be successful for a long period of time, especially in baseball. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned it, and I, I don't think people really consider when a guy, like you were talking about Dave Van Horn, he's been around baseball for a long time, very brilliant guy. When he comes out and says that even with the loss of Wiggins, this could be one of the deepest and best pitching staffs that he's had in his time at Arkansas, what does that kind of tell you? It, it really resonates with me because Coach Van Horn is very careful in his wording. If you go and listen to his press conferences, he never – it's interesting if you really pay attention to what he says. He's, he talks like a, 
he speaks honestly like a like a scientist in a way he uh at least a scientist that's not blowing smoke or a scientist that that's smart in what he says once again he never speaks in black black and whites a whole lot there's a lot of nuance to everything and every answer he gives you know you got some of the media guys that kind of try to corner him into an answer and he always is very strategic in how he bounces around that answer and for him to for for him to come out and say something that drastic i think is uh is pretty significant um you don't hear him say things like that very often you know you the the one like very absolute thing i say very drastic things that he said recently that that i would like to kind of compare it to is he talked about robert moore and jalen battles uh before the year started saying they may be the best you know middle infield duo in college baseball and then also saying you know they're probably the best duo and up the middle that he's ever had and then you think about how good they were defensively and how good they were as a whole you look back on them, they were incredible you know Robert Moore having only two errors and they were questionable at that and then you got battles who and, and don't even get me wrong on and don't get me going down the rabbit hole of defensive metrics but I mean they're both to I mean tomorrow if you put them defensively at their position in a big league game they would be fine you put them in their spot defensively they'd be fine in the big leagues that's that's the how highlight good plays are. yeah the highlight plays I saw from them that they made look so routine is not normal <laughs> it's literally the best double play turn I've seen in person that is it is that good I, I a lot of this is kind of under the radar thing but like I play obviously caught a lot of balls at first base whenever they were up the middle in uh 21 and I've seen Robert Moore, you know, Robert Moore practices no look turns, uh, you know, the first one he threw into the stands, but he will, he will turn, you know, from second, you know, shortstop facing me. He's a second. He goes here, turns double play without turning his head and throws it to me on the money first base and just stuff like that. I just, I'm just sitting here. It's like, he's not even looking at me. You know, I mean, you, you, know you turn and you ask your partners, like, am I seeing this right now? Is this really what's happening? Just just mind-boggling stuff like that. But back to the point is, for him to say something very drastic like that, I think I think speaks volume. So I wouldn't be at all surprised, you know. And now, obviously, Coach Van Horn's a human being. You know, you never know. Maybe they go out there and they lay an egg. I don't know, but I'd highly doubt it. I can let's put it this way: I can say with a pretty high degree of certainty that they're going to be a very competitive staff, and they have a lot of deep. They have a lot of good talent in the staff. Now, does that mean they're going to go out there and execute every single pitch? Probably not. You know, they're once again, they're kids, to, they're humans, right? But in terms of when he says depth, that tells me that they've got a lot of good arms in terms of stuff. Um, and when I say stuff, I mean what kind of what kind of stuff is coming out of their hand towards the <laughs> towards the hitter, right? How good is their how good are their fastballs? How good are their breaking pitches? How good is their off speed? How good are they locating it? That tells me that there are a lot of guys that a lot of guys that have a lot of a lot of a lot of guys with a really high ceiling, I would say, is a good way of putting it. I agree. I'm excited to see how it goes for sure. I think that kind of wraps us up, Matt. We really appreciate your time, man. 
hope you had as much fun as we did. We love talking hog sports and baseball, especially. I'm like I said, I'm a huge baseball fan. Played it growing up. I had a blast. I, I mean, I, I pretty much talked to anybody too. So that's when, especially when it gets on the gets on the topic of things that I'm passionate about. That, as you can well imagine, I, I go down rabbit holes and I get sidetracked. Next thing you know, it's. I mean, just today I was talking with our head coach. Who, you know, it's supposed to be a sit down and. Okay, uh, all of our basketball guys are showing up the next few days. Yeah, talking, you know, supposed to be like a little 30-minute conversation, take a little bit of notes. Next thing you know, I looked up, and it's been two and a half hours. I missed my workout window, and it's time for dinner. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those deals. But, yeah, guys, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been fun, and I'm always, uh, you know, I'm always phone call away. Let me know. I'm always be happy to be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. We appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's just like, thank you again. And uh, we'll maybe get be in touch later on for maybe another episode later on mid-season baseball or something like that. So, Awesome. Sounds good to me. I, I plan to be watching as much as I can. Uh, I probably, unfortunately, may not be able to watch nearly as much as I have in the past just because of, uh, just because, you know, having a coach. And I hear you, man. We appreciate you, your time. Appreciate you me. Have a great evening, buddy. Thanks. You too. That was our Hog Talk segment with former baseball player Matt Goodhart. And always, thank you again for tuning in to this week's episode. Feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Let us know things you want to hear talked about on the show and potential people you want to hear us talk to. Just give us a shout, and we'll get back to you and let you know if we can make it happen. Thank you, and go Hogs.